might plan to go in the future, some earplugs are, are a wise thing to take with you. Um, but this message this morning um, kind of has been birthed out of uh, some new practices that I've just have incorporated in my, my daily um, you know, spiritual disciplines of, of prayer. And one of those things is um, right around the first of the year, I had purchased a, a new kind of prayer book, and I use some liturgical prayers as part of my prayer time. And one of the things that the, the prayer book kind of has you do that was new for me is to, to pray through several psalms each day. Uh, some psalms in the morning, some at night. Uh, but one of the psalms that they have you pray through, you pray both in the morning and at night. And it's Psalm 51. And uh, there is a verse in Psalm 51, uh, 17, that just would always stick in my brain and cause me to, to ask some questions. And I would find myself thinking about it uh, beyond just, just my time of prayer. And that's Psalm 51, 17. And um, it says this, that the, the sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. So this kind of got me to, to asking some questions because it's one of those verses that I think that you can, can read and maybe skip by, but for me, it was just lingering. And so some of those questions for me um, were, were, were some, some of these, and they're in your notes, and I think they're on the PowerPoint, but uh, things like, what does it mean to bring a sacrifice to God? I mean, I'm not an ancient Near East person worshiping Yahweh in a temple or in a tent, what does that mean for me to bring a sacrifice? What is a sacrifice for me? I don't know. You know, Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice. Did Jesus' sacrifice, um, did he bring an end to the sacrifices that we offer? Or is there something that we are to continue to offer to God as sacrifices to him? You know, things to think about. And I started thinking about some of the other parts, not just the part of sacrifice in, in that psalm but the, and in that verse, but also the idea of brokenness, contriteness. What does that mean? Um, is it always something that's associated with my sin and my repentance? Or is there something more to that? And then if there's something more to that, and I am to offer something to sacrifice, um, how do I offer that and how do I foster a heart or a life that's characterized by the idea of brokenness and contriteness if that is what is acceptable to God? Yeah, so those, those, are, those are some of the things that as I've been praying this first quarter of the year through this psalm um, a couple of times a day uh, that and it just kind of lingered and kind of make me think when I have other quiet moments in the day uh, of this. And so the background of Psalm 51, uh, Psalm 51 is David's psalm of repentance. And we really find his story uh, of, the, this, of where this 
psalm was birthed out of uh, of King David in 2 Samuel chapters 11 through 12. And it's the story of David in Bathsheba. We're not going to read, you know, two chapters of Scripture. It's a story that a lot of people are familiar with. And so you're, you're welcome to maybe go back and read through 2 Samuel um, later. Or, as I found out and kind of doing some research, I think there was a movie in the 50s starring Gregory Peck that was David and Bathsheba. You go watch that if you like classic movies. Um, but to summarize, you know, David sees a beautiful woman, Bathsheba, and he uses his position of authority and power to, to get what he desires, and he desired Bathsheba. Um, and he continues to scheme and cover up because it turns out Bathsheba gets pregnant, her husband is gone at war, and um, this is kind of a, a scandal, something that's embarrassing. And so David starts to kind of cover up all of the consequences of his sin. And um, part of that cover-up involved a murder of Bathsheba's husband, um, Uriah. And so, um, yeah, a lot of bad stuff here going on by David. Um, and David continues to pretend like everything's okay and... He's kind of manipulated the situation. He's all right until he's confronted by a prophet. And a prophet, um, the prophet Nathan comes and confronts him and famously says, you know, David, you're the man, right? And, um, and David says, I have, you know, I have sinned against God. And David is ultimately forgiven of his sins, but his sins have lasting consequences, not only for him, but his family and for the people of Israel. And so it's something that, that continues. Um, and so this is, this is really the, the context for the psalm. And if it's been a while since you've read Psalm 51, again, I would encourage you to read, read the whole thing. Um, because David expresses an acknowledgement of the wrong that he has done, uh, confesses you know, his sin to God, and then asks for uh, healing and cleansing. And, and, um, and it's kind of in the con context of this, he says, you know, if you had desired for, my, you know, for me to come to you and offer bulls or burnt offerings, I would have done it. But that's not really what you desire. What you desired is this broken heart and contrite spirit, and that's what I'm going to give to you. It's only after that I give that to you that he goes on and says, and then you will accept my burnt offerings before you. Um, and so I found this interesting uh, quote, and it's by uh, uh, Father Stephen Freeman, but he says this, the very core of this psalm is its, is its attention to the heart and its interior state before God. In this much, nothing has changed between Old and New Testament. The great field of battle, the very doors of heaven, as well as the gates of hell, reside squarely in the human heart. Its state before God is the state of any individual. And that is what David is bringing before God in this psalm and in this prayer that he offers to God. He's bringing the state of his heart as it is after his confrontation with Nathan. Um, it's interesting in some ways um, that this is just only one 
of several instances where David sins, disobeys God, messes up, right? And we're not talking about little things here. We're talking about adultery. We're talking about murder. We're talking about a conspiracy within the government to cover up a scandal, right? Um, but, I mean, this is not just like one blip in David's life. Uh, David takes a census when he's told not to. He has other things where he sins against God, where he doesn't do what's right. But yet, it is interesting um, that scriptures will speak of David as being a man after God's own heart. They will also describe David as being blameless before the Lord. Huh, how do we understand that? You know, um, 2 Samuel twenty two twenty one through 22 says, The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. This is David talking. According to the cleanliness of my hands, he recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. Psalm 26, 1 through 3, David says, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and mind, for your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in faithfulness to you. And Psalm 18, 20 through 23 says, The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanliness of my hands. He recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord, and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his ordinances were before me, and his statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from guilt. And so, um, you know, David speaks of himself this way. We're, we're told that he's a man after God's own heart, uh, that he was blameless in the law. So how, how do we understand this in David's life? Um, was David merely writing uh, a fiction of himself in his songs and uh, to the Lord? Or is there something else at work here? You know, I think in a lot of ways, when you look at someone like David, um, it's, it's not necessarily that he was faithful and obedient to everything that God asked him. But when he was confronted about his sins and his mistakes, he was, had the kind of heart and the kind of relationship with God where he was willing to repent of those things. He didn't dig in his heels stubbornly and re refuse to repent or say, no, God, you're wrong, or I'm going to continue to do it my way, to persist in his um, sin and rebellion. David was faithful to God and blameless before the Lord because when he sinned, he repented according to the law. And it's interesting, you know, the, the law that is presented as Scripture is not just merely a list of do's and don'ts, right? Um, but the law is really described in Hebrews as what mediated the relationship between God and his people. Right? God enters into a covenant with the, with the people Israel that he created out of the offspring of Abraham. And the law is set there to establish a mediation of the relationship. It's how the people commune with God and how God relates and communes with the people. Um, you know, and it doesn't take a, a long survey of the Old Testament to see that uh, oftentimes this happens in the context of sacrifice, right? 
Not only does Moses encounter God on the mountain where he receives the law, but the rest of the time we're told that he encounters God and speaks to him face to face in the tabernacle where the sacrifices are, all, are offered. We see Isaiah and his vision of God and God calling him to be a prophet. Where is he? He's in, he's in the temple, right, worshiping. Samuel, God calls to him and appoints him as, uh, as a prophet to the people and as a judge to the people. And, you know, he's, he's there at the tabernacle where sacrifices and offerings are being offered to the Lord. This is kind of the place where heaven meets earth and earth is encountering heaven in a lot of ways. And so it's, it's, a, it's the thing that mediates. And that's why in the author of uh, the book of Hebrews um, uh, goes on to say that, you know, eventually Jesus steps in and becomes that mediator of the law for us. Um, but I think it's also important to note that simple outward obedience to the law um, was empty apart from a disposition of heart that was broken and contrite is what, what David kind of reveals to us uh, in his psalm. Um, and it's interesting that this not only be, it becomes true for David, but it also becomes universalized by the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah 57, 15 says, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I will dwell in the high and holy place. And also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit. To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Right? God is not only enthroned in heaven. He says, I reside up here in heaven. But I also reside with the broken and the lowly of spirit. The one who is of contrite of heart. My presence is with him. And we see that through the testimony, again, of, of those in the Old Testament. We have people time and time again who are cast out and they encounter God, the God who listens, the God who's there, the God who's with me in my distress. Um, Isaiah 66, verse 1 through 2, again, the prophet says, Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you should build for me and what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Right? And in the, the greater context of what Isaiah is proclaiming to the people and prophesying to the people about um, is this thing that they continually offer sacrifices and burnt offerings. Um, <laughs> I forget if it's uh, chapter 66 or 57, but the prophet Isaiah uses some uh, fairly co colorful language to describe their sacrifices. And it's not that God um, doesn't desire their sacrifices, but he doesn't desire the empty going through the motions of just rote obedience to a list of instructions. He wants and desires the heart of the people. And so the prophet is saying, all of these things that you're offering, this you know, they're bringing cattle, they're bringing sheep, they're bringing um, what is, in essence, right, their, their financial gifts, and they're giving them to God, and yet their heart is not in the right place. Um, which, you know, the, the sacrifices to uh, a people's God 
in ancient times, right? That wasn't too unusual. But what was unusual and what distinguished, one of the things that distinguished Yahweh from the gods of the other nations is that he is the only God that we have record of who really seemed to care about the heart of his people, right? He says, no, I won't take these. Uh, your sacrifices that you're bringing, it's like you're bringing pigs upon my altar, is what Isaiah says. And, um, and it's because the people's heart is not in the right place. See, God lives with the broken. He lives with the humble and the contrite. They have his attention and his presence. Uh, in the New Testament, we are told um, in several places to, to have this same spirit, right? This is not just something that's unique of the Old Testament. This is something that characterizes God's people even, even in the New Covenant. Um, in Matthew eleven twenty seven through 29, Christ says that he has the same heart, that he has a, a lowly heart, a, a humble heart, and he invites us to come to him and to be yoked to him in the same spirit. In Romans 12, 16, we are instructed to be with the broken and with the humble and the contrite. In James 4 and, first, and in 1 Peter 5, 5, it is the broken, the humble, and the contrite that receive grace. In Matthew 18 and Matthew 23, it is the humble, the broken, and the contrite that are elevated in the kingdom of God. Right? It's not... It's, it's, it's not the people who get the most attention. It's not the people that receive the most praise or adoration even by the, by the church. Um, but it's, it's the lowly who will be considered the highest in the kingdom of God. It's the broken who find grace. Um. We'll move on. Um, so how are we under, to understand sacrifice in the new covenant? We've talked about kind of this idea of a broken spirit, how it characterized David, how the prophet Isaiah universalizes it, and how in the New Testament we're called to be with, how Christ invites people of a broken and contrite spirit to be with him. Um, but what about this idea of sacrifice? How do we tie this all together? Um, as I said, the sacrifice of Jesus and the person of priesthood of Jesus becomes the mediator of the relationship between God and his people. In Hebrews 8, 6, we are told that as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old as the uh, than the, uh, than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. Hebrews 9.15 says, Therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. So Christ's sacrifice, his death, Mediates and his priesthood mediates the relationship uh, between God um, and his people. And yet, over and over again throughout the New Testament, as you read, 
There are certain things and activities that get characterized as sacrifices and offerings to God that we are to bring to Him. Um, one of those things being our bodies and what we do with them. Right? Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Hebrews 13.16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Right? What we do with our bodies and how we offer ourselves and conduct ourselves and how we interact with other people and the graciousness and the mercy that we bestow upon others are characterized in the scriptures as sacrifices being all offered to God himself. Right? Um, financial gifts to those who are in need. Philippians 4.18, Paul says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Right? When we give and we help others and provide for those who are in need and those who uh, need support and we offer our finances, we offer the fruit of our labor to that, Paul describes that as a sacrifice unto God himself. We are also told that our praise and our worship and our confession of God is a sacrifice that we offer back to Him. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Through Him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Our confession of Christ, our confession of God, our worship of the Almighty is a sacrifice itself. Um, in, in some traditions, in the most ancient traditions and expressions of our faith, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, is considered an offering. Um, Hebrews 13.10, and there, there's another reference in 1 Corinthians that um, is equating the Lord's Supper with an offering to God. But Hebrews 13.10 says, We have an altar from which those who serve the tent, which in this context the tent is those who served in the tabernacle, have no right to eat from. And then there are also other expressions of our faith. The most ancient ones still offer incense and burn incense as an offering to God. Malachi 1.11 says, For from the east to the west my name will be great among the nations. Incense and pure offerings will be offered in my name everywhere. For my name will be great among the nations, said the Lord, who rules over all. All the nations will offer incense and sacrifice to my name. And so we have, we've kind of have these two things together, right? Uh, this idea of a broken, contrite heart and a sacrifice to God. And we've seen in the scriptures that there are these sacrifices that we are to offer to God in in our lives, with our lives, in worship, and in service to one another. And I would propose that the same thing is true of the burnt offerings and sacrifices that the law which mediated the relationship between God and man 
and these things that were called that are called sacrifices in the New Testament, that without the appropriate heart before God, that it kind of dis cancels out what we give. Right? And so we're we're kind of confronted with this reality of what is the what is the character of my heart? Right? Because I can show up for church every Sunday, I can greet everybody, but if I don't have a, a humble heart, a contrite heart, a broken heart, what is it? Am I there? You know, just to be there because I know that there's people in the community that I need to connect with because it might help my business, because it might allow me to make connections, because I have friends, or am I offering myself and my presence to others with humility because I love God, because I serve God, because I know God? When I give my tithe and my offering, is it out of a sense of obligation or a sense of um, requirement or duty? Or per perhaps it's just out of a, a sense of convenience, right? Like, well, I really don't want to pay taxes on this or I know that this amount of giving can lower, put me in a lower tax bracket, which saves me some money, right? Right, it matters the condition of our heart when we bring our sacrifices before God. When I partake of the Lord's Supper, do I do it just because that's what everybody in the line is doing? And I don't want to feel weird because I decided to stay in my seat? Or do I, in a sense, do it to commune with God in a unique and special way? Do I do it because I've got, I recognize the brokenness and the sin in my own life and by partaking of these things that represent the body and blood of Christ, I'm acknowledging my need for healing, for restoration, for forgiveness, for wholeness. Or is it just, something that I do every week because it's what we do. Right? These are the, the, the kinds of questions and things that kind of um, should cause us to go deeper. And how do I understand my brokenness? What is brokenness? Right? I kind of asked that question in the beginning. Is brokenness something that is always a, a result of my own sin, my own failure, my own inadequacy, right? And how do I distinguish that from, you know, just guilt, depression, things like that? I'd say brokenness is really the result of being able to, number one, acknowledge your sin, your own inadequacy before God, but also that willingness to Quit trying to cover up and put on a good show and just be real, right? When David gets confronted by Nathan, he all of a sudden lets go of all of his attempts to cover up what he did. 
And he's just being willing to present himself before God as he is. And I would say that, I would not say that brokenness is always the result of our own sin, but I would say that it is the result of sin. Right? Sometimes it's our own sin, and sometimes it's those who have sinned against us. And we're reaping the consequences of the sins of others. Right? And we can allow brokenness. Um, I think Paul in 2 Corinthians talks about a, a kind of guilt, a kind of brokenness that leads to repentance and restoration and a relationship with God. Or we can allow brokenness to spiral us off into depression. Um, <laughs> we can allow brokenness sometimes to spiral us off into more and more, more sin. Right? Because we don't like the way it feels, and so we um, cover up. We um, try to distract ourselves, right? We've got these handy little devices with screens that are with us all the time, and that way you can access all the entertainment and check out all, you know, whatever we want um, from life, right? We can sit and just stream and stream and stream, and our life just becomes stuck on a couch. And I think a lot of what drives um, some of that behavior is I just don't want to face reality. I don't want to acknowledge how things really are. I just need a distraction. And some of that can manifest in things like, you know, just hours and hours and hours of entertainment. Or it could be, you know, substances. And it could spiral off into addiction. I just don't want to feel bad anymore. I don't like the way that I feel. I don't like the way that I'm sitting, right? And instead of bringing our brokenness as an offering to God and say, God, this is just the way that I am. Let me present it to you, right? Instead of doing that, there are some people who are unaware of the love of God and don't know how to access it and don't know how to come before God in a broken state. They think somehow that they've got to have everything all together before they can come to God. And they don't ever see a path or a way where they can get everything all together. So what they do is they drown out that brokenness in alcohol, marijuana, other drugs. And they're just seeking an escape from the way that they feel. From guilt and shame and loneliness and it's just it's just a spiral right we can take our brokenness and the things that crush us and the things that we know aren't right in our own lives our own challenges our own sins our own disciplines and we can we can try to cover up and we can try to play a game where we make everybody else think that everything is okay. Or we can do as David did, simply bring our brokenness as part of our sacrifice to God. That's, that's the brokenness that's the result of our own sin. Now what about brokenness that is the manifestation of, man, maybe the consequence of sins of others? A friend who has betrayed you uh, a spouse that has hurt you, a business partner that's stolen from you. Right? 
these kind of life events that, that happen to us, sometimes by people who you know, we, we think are good people, think people we know who, man, we're our friends, and we, we don't have a way to understand what's happened, and we're hurt, and we're broken, and it's just, man, right? That, that kind of brokenness can lead to, to anger, can lead to resentment, can lead to bitterness, right? What does it look like for that kind of brokenness? You know, one of the one of the prayers that is kind of in my prayer book that I've been wrestling with as well is this um, idea of going before the Lord and repenting for other people, right? And it says, God, forgive those who are liars. Forgive those who steal. Forgive those who are adulterers, right? And I've been, as I was preparing this message that prayer never really made a whole lot of sense to me, right? I was like, oh, how am I going before God and like asking forgiveness for someone else? Isn't that what they need to do? But yet when we think about the brokenness that some of us carry because of how other people have hurt us, like we have that choice to offer our brokenness to the Lord as a sacrifice unto him. So then we can go before the Lord with our pain, sometimes with our anger, with our hurt. We can just be real with how we feel. And perhaps we could even come before God and say, God, forgive them like Christ did on the cross. Forgive them. Right? They may have known what they did and they but they may not have known how bad it was going to hurt the people around them at the time that they did it. Or maybe, or maybe they did and didn't care. Maybe they're a heart of heart. But we have an opportunity in those moments where we are broken to, to again, either allow it to, to spiral us into bitterness, anger, <laughs> desires for revenge, or we might even say, man, I'm just, you just want to completely break it off, be done and with that person, with that situation, because it hurts so bad. We can take all of that emotion and brokenness and hurt that has been inflicted upon us, and we just bring it to God. We say, God, here I am. Forgive them. Sacrifice, sacrifice implies taking something that's mine and giving it to be consumed before the Lord. Right? The sacrifice is burnt up, and what's not burnt up gets eaten, right? It's like a barbecue uh, in the Old Testament. Um, all right, but it gets offered and it gets consumed. And God met the people in the midst of that. And I think sometimes we're, yeah, we're reluctant, we're, we are reluctant to bring those feelings of brokenness and whether they fall on the side of guilt and shame or they fall on the side of anger and bitterness. Um, if we're not careful, we will allow them to keep us from the altar of the Lord. 
But what David invites us to do and what God invites us to do and what God promises, right? He says, no, bring that to me. Bring me all of your hurt. Bring me your guilt. Bring me your shame and lay it before my altar. And I will, not only am I the God who resides up in heaven, but I am the God who will come and I will dwell with the broken. I will meet you in that place of where you offer my brokenness, your brokenness to me. I will be with you. My eyes will be upon you. My presence will be with you in a unique way. And yet so many times, I, I think tragically, we don't foster a good enough environment to allow that to take place. And all too often, we're so concerned and wrapped up with maybe just the consequences of being real versus the need to come before God. That's what I would say about brokenness. Now, contriteness and humility, how are we to understand that? It seems like in the scriptures, contriteness and humility are often interchanged. They, they seem to be put as synonyms because right? I kind of struggle. Like, what, what does it mean to be contrite? It's not a word we use a whole lot, but it means humble. What does it mean to be humble? Um, do we presume the mercy of God? And what I mean by that um, is in this pattern of prayer that I've been doing for the past several months, is there's a lot of asking for God for mercy. I thought about that, and I thought, you know, that is kind of a lost thing in our modern prayer life and our modern expressions of worship. It's, God, have mercy on me. It's almost like we know the story so well and we've worked out the theology of sacrifice and forgiveness and Christ, you know, being a sacrifice for sin all at once. It's like we just approach God and presuppose it. I'm not saying that the mercy of God is not there because he describes himself as being the one who is merciful. But I think sometimes we don't even bother to ask. We don't even bother to ask. Um, you know, it's kind of like you know your 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 spouse goes shopping and you got different things in the pantry, the refrigerator, and um, you just assume that it's all available for grabs, but it was really like set aside for something coming up later in the week, right? And so you just presuppose, hey, I can just open the, oh, wow, we don't normally have that. That looks good. Let me, let me take that and eat that, right? And you find out later, oh my gosh, why did you, you know, why did you eat that? That was for this coming up. Well, I didn't know. It just looked good. Um, right? Presuppose that it was just available. It, and it probably would have been, but she would have probably liked to know, you know, before the day before that someone had eaten it, right? Like, um, do we presuppose the mercy of God? Do we just grab it 
and assume it's there because we have everything worked out in our head? Are we willing to humble ourselves and say, God, have mercy on me? God, grant me your love because you are the one who loves mankind. We sing and we rejoice and a lot of our praise and worship songs talk about all the, the victories that, and the great things um, that Christ has done, and we kind of accredit those things to ourselves. Do we ever take the time just to go before God and say, God, let me not presuppose that you have done this, but let me in humility just ask. Enter in. And I can say, I know Jesus loves me, but do I ever ask God, grant me your love? I know God is a merciful God. Do I humble myself before him and say, Lord, have mercy? Right? It's just a slight difference. It's the difference between having everything worked out up here and offering a heart that's willing just to submit before the presence and the relationship of God and his people. All right? Because we tend to have all these things worked out in our heads. Um, in the midst of that, we can ask, you know, what, what really is driving us? And what we do, and how we worship, and how we approach God. As the worship team comes up, and we begin to end our service and we partake of one of those things that is often described as sacrifice in scripture. I just ask you to kind of ponder the, those questions. What am I doing with my brokenness? Do I presuppose the mercy of God? What motivates my sacrifices before God? My service, my time, my financial giving, how I'm helping or not helping others, how I approach the altar of the Lord. What's really driving that? What kind of things do I need to cultivate in my life so that my life and my heart is characterized by brokenness, contriteness, and humility? And not only characterized by those things, but characterized by a person who's willing to bring all of that before God. Say, God, here is my sacrifice this day, this hour. You promise, come be with me, God, you who are merciful. Descend from heaven. Reveal yourself to me. Look upon me. Just How do we cultivate that? What do, what do we need to do to cultivate that as individuals and as a people and as a church?